What up, what up, what up, what up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome back. My name is Felix C. Arroyo, and this is the JMC Podcast, where we maintain focus and stay continuous through all four seasons. I am back. JMC is back. It's been a very long two weeks since I've sat here and introduced an interview. Uh, but I needed that time, and I hope, uh, you know, in the meantime, you've been uh, enjoying the podcast with the other episodes, catching up with me on socials, um, and, you know, what have you, just the whole shebang. I hope I hope you're all doing well. Um, I'm doing good, you know, I've, I have, um, I have a lot on my plate, <laughs> but who doesn't? Um, but I'm learning to manage, and, and I'm, you know. I'm enjoying the grind. Um, there's a lot of things popping off with the podcast and, you know, the hard work is paying off. Um, once again, thank you all for those that have reached out just to, you know, let me know that they're enjoying it. They're watching it. They're listening. Uh, you can watch me on YouTube like you are right now, or you can listen uh, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Um, there's a lot going on and, uh, and I'm excited and I am even more excited to introduce uh, this week's guest. I sat down and talked with Marie Cleves Rothacker, who uh, is the owner of uh, Move It Dance Studio. It's a boutique um, dance studio in Lancaster. And um, I was following her on socials like I predominantly do with all of my guests prior to interviewing them, getting a vibe. And she's got a lot going on. And she commented on an interview I did, I'm pretty sure, with LaRock Hudson. Shout out to LaRock. Um, and I told her I'd love to interview you. She was on. So we scheduled this back in like April, May, somewhere around there. So nonetheless, she showed up. She sat down. She apologized ahead of time because, you know, she said she's going to be loud. And I said, that's fine uh, because I can work with that energy. That's my favorite type of energy. Because then I feel comfortable being me. If you know Marie, you know she's a firecracker. Uh, and she's a joy to talk to. So much um, um, energy. Um, the vibes were real and strong. She's so positive. And she's got a great story. Uh, we're talking about a woman who's who's grown up uh, with biracial parents. Her father from Honduras. Her mother's Irish. She's got this, you know interesting dynamic of where do I belong and then finally being like I know who I am I belong where I want to be and making her footprint um so what else is there to say other than like I hope you enjoy this episode I hope you are enjoying the JMC podcast nonetheless let's just get right into it this is Marie's journey and these are the German Chronicles let's go That on the show, yeah. so it's really cool to get to Who are you familiar be a with part. Um, LaRock okay. and Fran. I work with Fran at the Community Foundation. Okay, and yeah. Because we did move it. Did um, we were one of the like vendors. Okay. That let me remind her and. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So just it feels like I don't know. Did you did you interview Evita too? I did, what but it, it was Zoom. 
okay. So I'm looking. That I'm was last season. So yeah. I'm looking forward to. Hopefully, I want to reach back out to Evita if you're listening, and uh, oh, and get her in per- and get live? her in person. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't tell me we were live. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. I, I said we're turning everything on. I need to put on my stage on. face. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're live, but we're not live because yeah. this can be edited. Like warm up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No one's watching. Sound right real now. good. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you again. Uh, you know, scheduling and and getting people in has been a little easier for me this season as opposed to previous seasons, yeah. and reaching out to people. So, like I said, uh, you know, the last minute uh, somebody got COVID, uh, had a guest in, and I said, Going around again. I said, yeah, and I was just like, please rest because. I had it three weeks ago. Oh, you And it did. was the first time I ever got it. Ooh, ooh, you were lucky. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, twice. I made it three and a half years. And I was like, oh, wow, this really is different. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, nonetheless, um, for the past few weeks now, I've been much better and good energized. So, thank you so much yes. um, for thank joining you. me on the podcast. We set this up at the end of last season around spring mm-hmm. I, I know i was trying out. to remember yeah. yeah yeah maybe maybe the yeah towards the end of the spring um and i've been following you uh on socials for a while oh, cool. um move it i think mm-hmm. you commented on i can't who's i can't remember who it was now because i was trying to go back and figure it out but you yeah. had commented on somebody that i was sharing their journey mm-hmm. and i started following you through oh, there cool. um so let's let's start with uh move it Okay. Because um, I was kind of getting, I've been getting hip to it a little bit more, and I was refreshing um, uh, today while I was at work. I was going through your website. I was mm-hmm. kind of, I don't like doing too much research because <laughs> okay. I like to, I like your to, method. You like yeah. to fill it out, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so I like to kind of like let the conversation go. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really intrigued in what you're doing here. Yeah. So talk to me about what what it is you're doing. Yeah, move it is. Um... Move It is always growing and changing. It's Move It was my first baby. And then okay. I had a real live ba- human baby nine months after I opened my first location. Okay. Um, almost nine years ago. So um, my background is in ballet. I was, um, I just, I was, I'm realizing now that I have an eight and six year old that most six year olds do not plan out their life. <laughs> um, and then actually like get pretty close to falling <laughs> Yeah, right, right. So anyway, I was a weird kid and I was obsessed with dance and obsessed with ballet. And, you know, that was kind of the path that I set forward for myself from a really young age and um, grew up in Stevensville, Michigan, which is like it had I think it has an actual um, like traffic light now. But... (laughs) So it, it was like a four-way stop. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it was right across the lake from Chicago. So anyway, so we had some level of culture, sort of. Yeah. Um, lots of people from Chicago had like houses on the lake and stuff like that. But anyway, I eventually went to a performing arts high school, boarding school in North Carolina when I had just turned 16. And from the age of 11, I had gone away every summer. So this was like my life. Yeah. Um, And a lot of things happened. Um, I ended up getting really close to my goal um, of dancing professionally. And I had a contract when I was 17. Um, But the mental toll of the ballet world, people don't realize, like, when Black Swan came out however long ago, I was like, 
that girl is weak. That's nothing. Like she would like people are like, is the ballet world really like that? I'm like, it's so much worse. Like oh. you have oh, no it's idea. Worse. Oh yeah. That's a pretty <laughs> yeah. morbid movie. It's I know pretty... it is. I mean like the weird like it's, horror it stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. That is not as much, but like the the pressure okay. and the perfectionism and all that other kind of gotcha, stuff is just yeah. really toxic and you know, all of your, as any performer, most of your power, you're just waiting for someone to tell you you're good enough. You sure. know what I mean? Sure, yeah. Um, and that affects you when you're like growing up in that world um, and constantly being told you are not. So anyway, um, there was a long, uh, long circuitous journey to opening Move It, but I basically just, I quit dancing, you know, okay. when I was 18. I had an identity crisis and I've tried to quit dancing like 20 times since then. <laughs> the identity crisis was because of your um, distaste for um, or no? It was because I didn't said, know you said who 17. I was apart from that world. I didn't uh, know who I was apart from that world. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. So um, and also, you know, the reason why I was so committed um, was because I love it because I love dance in general that doesn't matter what it is yeah. so move it grew out of really lots of years of me trying to figure out how dance and movement fit into my life and what it looked like and how it could look different than whatever idea I had set out for myself when I was six years old gotcha. okay okay yeah <laughs> and it's really always been about bringing the beauty of the dance world and not all of the bullshit yeah um and so I developed my own like bar fitness class do you know what bar fitness is no it is ballet based fitness so okay. you use a ballet bar and um it's my my brand move at bar is a little bit more dance based and every single exercise goes with the song is choreographed to the song so the class flows a lot more like a dance class um and gives people a feel for like we secretly teach people rhythm and coordination okay. and stuff okay <laughs> um through the class and that was the big thing that we started with um and then I had babies, and then we expanded. We had a second location. Then we had to close our Lancaster location because the building was sold to be torn down. And then oh, it's man. just been. And then we had finally opened up a downtown location again in mid January 2020. Yes. Um, and you might remember something happened in March of 2020. Yeah, yeah, this comes up often. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I feel like we're all still like like I feel like I'm just now at the point where I can start to digest. Yeah. I think I think uh, I felt the same way when I was um, I was just alluding to the fact that I had COVID three weeks yeah. ago and I was kind of like thinking like, wow, it took three and a half years. And then I kind of like had to think like we are we're able to now kind of look back at that. Right. And, and I hate to say it. I don't mean to be inconsiderate or tone deaf, but you kind of look back at that like, oh, yeah, that was really hard. Like, yeah, that was actually a pretty fucking devastating moment it was and, for, and still is for all reasons people not taking it seriously people people taking it very seriously the government this that and the third everything shut down mm -hmm. you know how you were there i so, was there so people who had businesses or ventures or dreams uh and you literally just opening up your lancaster i mean that's it's kind of like uh on the nose a little bit when it comes to irony when it's just like wow really like murphy's law this is mm -hmm. happening right now yes how how 
like what was going through your mind? Because at that time we didn't know what was going on as far as COVID. Yeah, it was interesting. So really with this expansion to Lancaster, it was like the first time that I, I felt like it was like the riskiest opening that I had, um, taken on with move it mostly because my studio in Mannheim township was really positioned to sell at that point. You know, we were successful. We have ex- had expanded services and that was your first location. Were going, no, that was my second one. Oh, that was your second. So <laughs> yeah. your first one was Lancaster. My first one was Lancaster, but oh, then, okay. yeah, then it this shut is down. confusing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Then the no, building no, no, got it's all good. with you. <laughs> <laughs> and then we I'm only had, we only had Manaham Township. And then I'm like, I was always looking for a space yeah. uh, so that we could have two locations again. So anyway, and it was also the one kind of biz- big business decision that um, my husband was like, why are you doing this? Okay. And... You know he shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Did that light a fire under you? I was like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why are you doing that? It was not a good idea. Um, you know, because... Uh, anyway, so the point is I got really obsessed with making it happen. That was, you know, maybe he was just like trying to motivate me, but I know he's, that's what he was. He's doing. not that shrewd, but we'll, What's your we'll give him name? Andrew. Andrew. That's what you were doing. Yeah, Andrew. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Don't regret it at all. So yeah. So it was like, and it was the first time I borrowed money for the studio. Like we always ran really lean and I kind of like did everything, um, administratively and taught a lot and developed, you know, oh, wow. the okay, class, yeah. I I developed a teacher training, like it was all very in-house and hands-on. And, you know, I was just getting to the point where I was like, what's the next step? And then I thought the next step was, okay, let's expand because what else am I going to do? And yeah. also my husband doesn't really want me to do it, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I'm going to show him, you know, whatever. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, so we opened, we opened that studio mid-January 2020. It felt like this was the dream situation. It felt like, you know, it had really good energy and I was really excited to focus more on dance and like bringing live performance in just a, it's a, you know, a studio atmosphere, but we can do like um, works in progress, like low key performances there and stuff. And I wanted to start creating work again and whatever. Um, And then when COVID hit, I was actually, a part of this like boutique fitness coalition. And so there were these, I had a heads up that it could be pretty bad, bad because they're an international organization. So they were like, they had studios in China that they're like, this is what's happening here. And it's real. Okay. Okay. But here, remember everybody was like, (laughs) you know, whatever, like it's over there. It's not here. And so the two weeks leading up to the shutdown, I was scrambling around trying to figure out how to do this in my studio. You know oh, what wow, I mean? Okay. Like I was like, we're probably going to have to go virtual. I need to like figure out how to like a camera, a microphone a music. Like I had no idea what I was doing, yeah. but I was like bubbling around the studio and everybody's like, what is wrong with her? Like this woman is neurotic. And I'm like, well, just in case, okay, just in okay. case. <laughs> it's fine. Everybody's fine. Keep going. Keep going. You know? Um, and my teachers are so sweet and they're just like, okay, Marie, you know, it's one of her things. Um, but what that allowed us to do was we went virtual overnight. So like March wow. 13th, I think it was 
13th or 14th, we sent out an email and we're like, okay, we're going virtual. And then everything was officially shut down like two days later. Okay. Um, but then we ended up closing what had been our main location in Mannheim Township in the fall of 2020. I mean, it's just, we did a rebrand. We developed a whole, you know, um, online video library. I got a videographer friend to help me out. And, you know, we launched, um, um, uh, ethical shopping, um, like online store during COVID. So we were doing a ton of things okay. along with all the things that as a small business owner, you don't like to do, yeah. which is like emailing the landlord all the time being like, I don't know how I'm going to pay you. Yeah. What can we work out? And yeah. it's, I had never had to do that in the life of my business. I was really lucky that up until that point, I had always been, you know, able to cover my costs and pay myself a tiny bit. You know, it wasn't a ton, but I was always able to do that. It was never a matter of like, how am I going to pay my people? And it turned into, how am I going to pay my people? Sure. And that was a really hard 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 situation yeah to deal with how do you go about i mean like uh, i'm kind of getting the vibe like you're a go-getter here right is what that, do you mean is that, because <laughs> this is it, why i'm drinking water and not coffee <laughs> because it's like how do you i mean uh you get hip to the possibility of what's about to happen which was covid yeah and you're already adapting but you you alluded to doing the administrative Yep. As well as the classes, as well as so your hands, you're wearing a lot of different hats. Yes. And is, I was primary caretaker for my kids at that time. Okay. Too. So, yeah, my how kids. How do you do that? Were, like, how are you? What well, is that something that you <laughs> are you the kind of because I'm that kind of person where it's like and my wife is, too, where we're let's do it. You just do until it until we can't. Yeah. And in our own way, like there's things where I'm like, like the podcast for a perfect things. I do mm. all of it. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like, yeah, it's a lot of work and I can't wait till I get a team. But you know, what? I kind of like doing it on my own, too. So it's like, yeah, it's like a ritual. It's like, to yeah, be in the details. It, sometimes yeah. Is that too. the same? Is that where you're coming from with with move it as far as doing so much? <sighs> yeah, it has I to think, be a certain way. Mm, yeah, so I've thought about this a lot because I think a lot of times, especially with small business owners, um, it's like the founder syndrome thing where they can't let go of anything because <laughs> okay. it's like, oh my God, it has that. to be my way or the highway. Yeah. I don't necessarily, now people listening to this who know me may think that that is the truth. It's, it's the truth a little bit. <laughs> He's taking a step. He's like, uh-huh, let's see how she comes out of this one. <laughs> As soon as you said it, I was like, "You can edit you that have, part out." Maybe you heard something already. I don't know. I'm just getting to know no. you. You're so sweet. I'm a really nice person. Please edit out all the things I tell you to edit. That'd be great. No, I mean, yes, like I know how I want things done, but also I never wanted to do all the things and overwhelm myself. The thing is, I'm kind of built that way. I think a lot from my parents. So my dad. Um, grew up in Honduras, you know, born and raised Honduras, came to the U.S. in high school um, and really is like self-made. He was privileged that he was able to come here legally, you okay. know, that he yeah. had an education and all of that, that he spoke English. He learned English from a young age. Um, but, you know, he made his own way. And then my mom, you know, she's like Dutch, Irish, mixed, whatever, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> from from rural Michigan, you know, grew up on a dirt road across from a landfill, you know what I mean? And both of them just, I mean, they're still work, they just do it. 
they just do it. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what was modeled for me and it's served me well. And it's also been kind of my worst enemy, which you might relate to yeah. sometimes. One thousand percent. So my stress response, and this became very, very obvious to me during COVID is hyperactivity. You know what uh, I mean? It's yeah. like, I got to do, 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 do. I got to save the world. I got to like everything become, I just become hyper-focused and I'm, I'm really good under stress because of that. Like I can perform under stress that yeah. helped me in ballet too. Right. Yeah. I used to have, a t you know, teachers that would just be screaming at me constantly and you're doing this, you know, very complicated, <laughs> you know, choreography or whatever it is. And, you know, with people screaming at you the whole time and wow. your body's hurting and you're, you know what I mean? And you're a teenager, like that yeah. kind of thing affects you if you stay in that. And I kind of thrived off of that in a way. And. I, in some ways, I think I know how better how to function under those circumstances. Um, however, doing all the things that we did, and then we did a rebrand and redid our website over COVID and everything. And it was like literally me, my mom and my sister redid it all in like a couple of like maybe a month. Wow. Like, yeah, because my sister's a designer and my mom's a programmer. So anyway, this is like a family culture thing. Yeah. Again. It's a good thing and a bad thing. And what I re what ended up happening to me is so many years of going, going, going finally caught up with me in a different way, I would say, than it had in the past. Like I've always dealt with like anxiety, depression, perfectionist tendencies, blah, blah, blah. But um, what happened this time was my body grew and my belly grew and sure. I'm teaching fitness on a camera every day all of a sudden. And, yeah. you know, things were starting to shift in a way that I think the universe was like, this is the thing that she's going to make her finally pay attention. Like okay. if she starts to get fat around her middle, she's going to start to be like, okay, what do we need to do? Yeah. <laughs> as body positive yeah. as I am, like I had different stand, different sure. expectations of whatever of myself, you know? Um, so that's been an interesting journey. And what I really ended up having to do was I was having like health issues, just like weird things and um, ended up having to really just like, stop like I told my I have you know a small administrative team that works very part-time and I think it was in 2021 I was just like I'm done with the studio goodbye okay you know what I mean I was like I don't care like I just I can't do it anymore and I knew that I was empty when it was <laughs> it was like we were on some you know zoom live stream class you know because at one point we were running outdoor classes at both locations, indoor classes with mass at both locations and live stream. Like it was crazy, okay, right? Yeah, yeah. We closed the other location, but we were still doing outdoor, indoor and live stream. And there was, and I was a tech person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. There's a lot of well, hats here, Marie. Well, and also we, this was like before that, you know, vaccines or vaccines were just coming out. Remember? So I didn't want other people to help me because I was worried about, sure. You know, it was like all that stuff. I remember putting the stickers on the floor to separate, Six you know, feet. the people around the yeah. studio and the air cleaners and everything. So it was like I was doing all the things. But <laughs> there was one time I was teaching a class and a client was like, I can't hear the music. And like in my mind, I was like, I don't fucking care. 
And then I was like, I might be burned Wait, out now. This is, me, this is me burning out. This is, and I was just like, my eyes just did their stare and their double blink that they do um, when I'm perturbed. And I was like, okay, I need to figure this out. So I was really lucky that, you know, my team was like, listen, let us carry some things for a while. And, you know, we can't take the financial burden off of you, but we can like, sub your classes we can take care of administrative things whatever that's cool and so many of my teachers and even still some of them are are like volunteering their time um because it's still like a long road to recovery i had to borrow so much freaking money yeah yeah (laughs) to get through pandemic and it's the same thing like when i was in it i was just like okay whatever needs to happen next boom 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 done and done done oh we're not eligible for anything forgivable okay then we do this and now i'm kind of again with a business at the point where i'm like how we're talking about looking back and being like oh i did that like i did that i'm proud that we're still here and also i'm like i did that and like now i gotta figure out like what is the way through, you know? Um, it's not it's not like it didn't happen, you know what I mean? And I think, you know, I've had more than one person talk to me and be like, oh, it's so amazing, like, you know, you kept such a positive attitude. I was like, I was literally falling apart. Sure, yeah. Like, I literally look like a different person now. It is what it is. I'm fine with it, and I'm, you know, I feel much more myself spiritually and, you know, everything else, but, like, it's not been an easy ride and everybody's like, but it's over now. Right. You know, and everything's fine. Cause like your classes, you've got a lot of people in them and whatever. And I'm like, it's not over because right. you know, we're dealing with some other things. Yeah. Still. Well, like you just alluded to earlier where it was like, you had to make these decisions in the moment Yeah, and they made sense and they were the right thing to do. But eventually then things start catching up and you're yeah. reminded of those decisions. Right. And the haste, the hastiness of the decision making really comes to the forefront that when you're like, okay, yeah, fuck. Yeah. And it's easy for people to see the bounce back and be like, look at you. Yeah. Which is cool. And uh, I would assume that for the most part, it, it it is rightfully so frustrating, but there's also times where, where maybe do you have to kind of like you're biting your tongue because people don't who aren't business savvy or business minded, they, they, don't, don't, they don't get that part. And I'm innocently a part of that. I'm I'm starting to learn mm-hmm. because of the podcast, the business side yeah. of things. And I'm growing very frustrated with it because I just want to be the creative. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I, I am aware of and hip to like there's things that are going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. The goal is for you to see what you're seeing. Yes. And if, you, if it looks like I'm doing good, good. But please keep in mind it. This isn't a cakewalk for me. That's really hard for me because I feel like, so about a year ago, I was like, okay, we need to do another crowdfunding campaign because I don't know, like I can't borrow any more money, you know, and it's not fair to my family. Um, I also have a full-time job that I just started a year and a half ago. I work with Fran at the Community Foundation, which is amazing. Um, But like, you know, I was just like, I can't. You know, I got two young kids, man. I like gave up my life for this. Here I am giving up my life for movement again and not always in the healthiest way. Yeah. So it kind of manifested in a different way. And I found myself being in this space um, where I'm just like, how do you... So my whole thing is like, like my dad's an immigrant, right? So like he's like super aware of like how you present yourself and how you appear, right? Yeah. So like... Um, 
for example, he wouldn't like these sequins. And like, this is okay. like a little too much. <laughs> yeah. But I'm owning it now. He'd be like, you look Latina. And I'm like, dad, I am Latina. <laughs> Let me be. What, what more do you need of me? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm still trying to prove my freaking identity to you. I don't know why I have issues. You're going to edit that part out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. It'll be on the extended version. <laughs> the uncut. I'll start a patron and you can follow it along there. <laughs> oh my gosh so yeah like it's just like you know we grew up we were you know in stevensville michigan there was not a lot of ethnic diversity believe yeah, it or was not one of my questions coming up to you okay. yeah so like we weren't far from benton harbor which was like you know where most of the black and brown population lived in that area um but you know my dad was always looking at okay what is the next step to like both advance his career, but also like create like a better life for our family, right? Like he and my mom had talked about moving back to Honduras after they got married, but that was the early eighties when there were a lot of, there was a lot of unrest and a lot of violence and stuff going on in Central America. So they didn't do it. Okay. And then, you know, he followed where he could get the jobs and whatever, and always wanted to move us into communities that, you know, ended up being, suburban and white sure you know what i mean and then when i was a ballet dancer it's a very like i was one of the darkest people you know that now there's it's it's getting better but like you know i was asked to put on uh and i'm like light brown you know i was asked to put on makeup to make my skin lighter when i danced in swan lake you know what i mean like it's just so in there so i'm really really used to a lot of microaggressions to the point where sometimes I can't even identify them. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Because we were the, you know, we had like, I think there was an Indian family, there was a Japanese family, there was a Greek family and there was us, you know what I mean? In that little community. And, um, you know, then we, I ended up going to a bunch of different schools and graduating from St. Joseph's high school in South Bend, Indiana, which is like a feeder school for Notre Dame excuse me, in Notre Dame's where I did my graduate work. Oh, wow. But um, again, (laughs) like literally, I was like so eating the whatever, (laughs) drinking the Kool-Aid. I was like wearing Notre Dame polo shirts and khakis at one point. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Because I'm like, I will conform. Like, I won't conform my personality, but like if I wear these clothes, it will make people feel more comfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah. But everybody knew who I was. It Mm -hmm. didn't fucking matter. You know what I mean? And that's the thing that I've been learning now. But um, anyway, I don't know where I was going with all that. No, but I'm, <laughs> I'm glad about, you like, brought that up because validating when you, meant, my when you mentioned, <laughs> yeah, your father had to, coming from Honduras and understanding the, situ- the situation and the, the conversation of, of immigrants coming mm. here and having to conform comes yeah. up often on this podcast. Yeah. And the conversation also of being of the next generation that is aware of what my grandparents did, what my parents had to see, but realizing that we're in a position now where things can be done differently, Mm -hmm. but we still, black and brown people have opportunities now Mm -hmm. that weren't there, but there's still situations that take place that remind you. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, when you mentioned the polo and the khakis, Every day. yeah, it's like it's like that's like uh, it's conditioned in my mind to have it's it, it's pretty sad, and I think about it often. Like 
why do I talk differently to different people? Mm-hmm. It's part of it is <laughs> because you have to get people's attention. And some people, I can't talk to my mom the way I talk to my boys. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we all do it to a certain but, extent. But we do to a certain extent. But some then of us are more aware. But there's times, right? But there's times where it's like, am I conforming? Am I putting myself in a it's position to be like it's super warped? It and, is. And so I can only imagine like when you mentioned Michigan, because <laughs> I knew you were like, heard but of I didn't Michigan know, militia? I, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> They were trying to murder the governor up in there. How how does that happen? So how does the, how how do you come from Michigan? Like, how do you find yourself? Because I thought you were from here. I didn't didn't realize that. I've been here for 18 years and I'm only 22. So isn't that crazy? Fucking phenomenal. This is a a first for the podcast. You know, don't look at these roots. Yeah. Somehow I've been here for 18 years. I I moved here as an adult because, um, well, I was still in undergrad because my parents moved here um, because my dad took a job and um, he was pretty successful in the corporate world and worked for Exelon Corporation and stuff. And um, he wanted to move to Bent Creek Country Club when we moved here. Okay. And my mom was like, hell no, I don't want people like she's like the brown one, even though she's the Irish one. Okay. She's like, I don't want people telling me what to wear. I don't want people telling me how I got to do my lawn. I don't want people telling me I can only have one dog. I'm not living in a country club. Yeah. I don't even like golf and I don't like people like that. Sorry, Bent Creek people, because we did have some really good clients from there. They might not be Maybe listening. Maybe I will edit that They one might out. not be your target audience. <laughs> no, it's true, though. But that's how my mom was, right? It, but the reason why, again, the reason why he wanted that was because, okay, this is where, you know, like some of the newer money is living. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is where I can network. And it's not all bad. I held it against him for a long time. But it makes sense. In his position. Right. And you're at the age now where that makes sense. You can see it. Yes, I can see it more. And I understand it a lot differently than I did for a while. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, Lancaster County isn't that different from where I grew up in Michigan. Okay. It's just more people. Yeah. More people where? There's more people here. Get out. In Michigan? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. I told you. There was not a stoplight. you're right. You're right. You did say that. (laughs) I, I, I mean, I understood the humor, but yeah, now it's no, now I'm seeing. How- I'm serious. That was a literal. <laughs> that was not an exaggeration. Everybody had off from school. They celebrated the uh, the four way stoplight being installed. <laughs> you know, and so, um, yeah, it's it's been a journey to. Honestly, even understanding my identity um, as a Latina, because most of my life, I was stubbornly against having to choose. Like, I thought mm-hmm. I had to choose how I identified, right? I mean, you do when you're filling out the form or yeah. whatever. I'm like, what the hell am I supposed to put? I'm half white, half yeah. brown. Yeah. There's not a thing for multicultural. Like, there's not a, you know, and so... It was like a weird like thing that I was on. Like every time I had to take a standardized test, I would just like be pissed and I'd be like multicultural, other, multicultural, other, you know? Yep. And I think one of the things that I didn't realize and that what like all of the stuff, you know, the great white awakening or the great racial awakening or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> you know, when all of that was going down, it kind of 
illuminated a lot of things for me. Um, and I had a lot of conversations with my mom, not as many with my dad, um, about like, really, it was just this whole thing of like, yeah, you're a Latina. Like people, it doesn't matter what you, what, how you think you, you know, if if your dad doesn't think you're Latina enough, for example, sure. which he still doesn't, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't matter that you were raised around a lot of white people. You know how to talk to white people and you know how to like wear the polo or whatever. Yeah. People still see you yep. that way. Yep. It's not a bad thing. It is a, just a thing to know as you're navigating life. Right. And, um, you know, there were so many things that I was like. But mom, you know, is it really that way? Because I feel like a lot of people see me as more white and da da da. And she's like, yeah, maybe they do. But like, people think you're a freaking Latina. And then yeah. she's like, and remember this and this and this that you had to deal with that your sister, my sister's lighter complected. She didn't have okay. to deal with it. Okay. And so it's been really interesting. And I think it's really challenging for people who kind of like straddle the line that could be like, one thing or another, like ethnically ambiguous is what I sure. used to call myself. But now I'm like, I'm Latina, Baba, you know, but I still like feel like, is that OK? Because, you know, I've had a lot more privilege than a lot yeah. of Latinas yeah. in a lot of the Latina community. I don't want to I don't want to claim hardship. Sure. You know, sure. it's that again, that like work your way. Yeah. Right. Um, so all that to be said, um it has been a challenge. And also, I think a lot of how I learned to cope with it growing up was simply not ignoring, but sort of ignoring a lot of microaggressions. Um, and just feel like, honestly, what I realized is I had internalized it. And I thought there was just something really wrong with me. Okay. You know, I'm like, well, you know, none of these mean white girls like me. It must be me. Uh, okay, Does, not, or, not, or they're just you. mean girls but I didn't connect the racial element to it and that is something that has really crystallized for me um, in the past few years and especially now like with my job and being much more just visible in a different way in Lancaster you know I always joke that like I I couldn't fit in anywhere so I had to create my own little bubble at move it that's like my happy place and it still yeah. is yeah um but now you know I'm like in other people's space yeah. <laughs> and I'm like oh you don't just love me why not <laughs> you know I built oh wait I didn't build this but I built that over there <laughs> you know <laughs> like you should just like me and respect me right right way. right and yeah, I mean, there's been some real, there's been some real struggles with that, I yeah. would say. I can, I can appreciate that, um, especially when you were referring to um, the awkwardness or, or the inability to feel comfortable claiming being Latina, but mm -hmm. also understanding that you've had some privilege. I had mm -hmm. my own fair share of that where I don't know, I can't speak Spanish or fluently. Mm -hmm. Or even understand it. Mm -hmm. I can if it's slowed down, but I mean, obviously, when people are speaking Spanish, it's yeah. it's rapid fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've had my fair share of that growing up, where it was like, I don't, you know, I've never wanted to not claim being Puerto Rican because I'm Puerto Rican. Yeah, I had no problem claiming it, but I was often reminded, like, but are but, you? 
are you fully a Puerto Rican? Right, because yeah. you. You, sometimes you sound white when you talk. I know. And, and it's it, like, what is white? And right. I mean, what is sounding what's, white? What's sounding white? I know. It's, and it's a like, whole thing. You know, when you get older and you start, like you said, connecting the dots and you're like, you know, I get it now. I I, I was surrounded, when I grew up, I was surrounded by um, mostly white kids. Mm-hmm. But as I got older, I then found myself around a lot of black and brown kids. Mm-hmm. And I was able to find my identity because... You start realizing everything that you were just describing. A lot of other people are going through that. Yes. Are, that black and brown kids and they just are get it, through. and you don't even have to talk right. about it, right? And you have like your little powwows where you're like, you know, I remember kind of breaking the ice while starting school and having conversations like, "Oh, my mom wouldn't do that," and and, and someone would look at me and be like, "Oh, I know your mom's Puerto Rican." I know, and it was all the <laughs> black girls were like, right. "Oh, we know," because right. and it was kind of like we don't have to know each other, but we related. Just on that, mm-hmm. and I and, and you know when when you were explaining that, that's the things that I was thinking of was I can I can appreciate first of all uh, your vulnerability in discussing something like that because it's really easy at the end of the day, of the day when you experience things like that it's easy to just be like I don't want to talk about it mm-hmm. and then not really claim who you are or yeah. look at it that way and just surround yourself with what makes you comfortable and easy to navigate through social mm-hmm, life mm-hmm. and then you, you know that that obviously gets frowned upon but the yeah. fact that you were able to be like no i i i i know who i am yes um that's cool a lot of people yeah. don't get there yeah you know it's still like excuse me the thing that i realized too was that there was a little bit of pride built into that to be like it was both feeling like I cannot claim the black experience. It's not the same as a light skinned brown Latino woman. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've always done a lot of when I was an English major in um, undergrad and, you know, I was always taking African-American literature classes and stuff. There weren't any Latin, you know, Latino, <laughs> whatever, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> writing yeah. and stuff. You know, there was some Pablo Neruda, whatever, but like, so I was, and I danced with an African-American dance company when I was in Indiana and um, in school. And one thing that I realized through all of this, it was like there was part of me that wasn't comfortable claiming um, a racialized experience because I knew it was so much harder for so many other people. And I was so, priv- I felt so privileged, Right. And it was interesting because I was I was talking to my mom about this, who is white, right? Yeah. And she's like, Marie, you didn't, it, it, not that it was harder, but like you didn't have anyone to talk to about this stuff. Like all of your community was white. Yeah. The ballet world is super white. Like, maybe if I would have chosen something else, you know, but like peop, there, I was, you know, kind of on my own in a lot of ways and didn't understand a lot of what I was experiencing because my dad, the, his, his way, you know, he claims Honduran and whatever, but like his way of getting through it in the corporate world was like, you put your head down and you just keep going. Yeah. And I, I remember right. making fun of him one time and I was like, dude, no matter like what golf you play, what you wear, whatever, like they're never going to accept you. Yeah. I remember saying that yeah. to him and then, you know, when all of this stuff was going down over pandemic, realizing like, damn, that was like the same shit I was doing, having this, you know, 
bar fitness studio where like 95% of my clientele are privileged white women. I'm literally across the street from a country club. And I really had this moment where I was like, what the hell am I doing? Like, and I kind of wanted to blow it all up, you know, because I was like, this is like, this is wrong. Like, I need to be doing something more for the cause. I need to be more fully in the work, whatever it was, um, you know, especially like with racial equity and felt like I, I can't do that in this industry because the fitness industry is very much like the ballet world. You know what I mean? Um, so it was definitely, it's definitely been a journey. And, um, I think also there was a part of me that was like, you know, well, since my dad gave me these advantages of like, you know, whatever, sending me to good schools and stuff like that, you know, since I know, since I basically talk like a white gay man, like I, <laughs> I can blend or I haven't had to deal with as much, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But, you know, <laughs> it was like I wanted to feel like I had overcome it within myself. Yeah. That like, I don't know. And maybe that was part of, I don't know. It's a whole, it gets messy yeah, and I, I dig it. weird in there. You know what I mean? Because then, you know, um, the few that, you know, the couple times in my life where I really felt like I had true community was, have been when I am with people who are multicultural in some sure. way. Right. Like, because a lot of times if I'm just like in like full on, like when I'm around Central Americans, they just like make fun of me because like I'm semi-fluent, but like I don't have the best accent. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, you know, I just, I have found that because I really am a, a melting pot, right? Like I really am both. And like, I literally have like, you know, trailer, like white folks that I am related to. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> and then I'm, you know, my abuelita lived with us. She only spoke Spanish. She was very educated. She was a nurse, but she came when she came to the U.S. because she didn't speak English. Yeah. She was treated like, you know, she came here illegally and, right. you know, was like they, all the assumptions were made, you know. Right, right, right. So but one thing that I have started to try to do and be aware of, I feel like I'm kind of coming around is realizing that, you know, even though it can be really alienating to kind of feel like you have a foot in both worlds and all that other stuff. And there will be people on both sides who tell you, mm-hmm. you're not really Latina or you're not really white or whatever. I mean, I, whatever it is, right. Yeah. Or you're too this, you're too that you're too dramatic. You're too, you know, you can't be smart and like wear sequins. You can't, you know, all the things, all the things, Right. I've started to come around after a lot of work (laughs) um, to feeling like these unique racialized experiences that I've had, these different worlds that I've moved between um, can really, are really an advantage and can be a strength. Yes. I kind of was annoyed with it for a long time because I'm like, what What the hell am I supposed to do? You were annoyed that you had, but were you annoyed that you had one foot in each world or more so one foot in that one world where you had mm. that privilege? Ooh, because sometimes that's, that's what true. it is. It could be. Because you mentioned a couple of times that I related to where it was kind of like, how can I relate if I didn't have this experience? Right. Like I didn't grow up in the inner city. Right. 
Right. You know, but uh, I also didn't grow up around any other Latinos. Right. Except for in my family. So. No, there but it I, is. Pre- I, pre- I appreciate that. Yeah. I was kind of co-signing what you were saying. What it yeah. was. It that is a my, my two. It's oldest. like you feel guilty about like being whiter or something like yeah. that, or having yeah. this experience that kind of like, and I hate to say it, but whitewashes your yeah brown card. Like right. oh, okay, you're Latina, but there's this asterisk, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate because the cards were dealt the way they were dealt, and. Um, I tell this to my two oldest, especially my oldest. She'll be 21. Mm. My two oldest have a, their mother is white mm-hmm. and she identifies as Latina, but she re, she receives some backlash from the other side of the family. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get too far into that because I respect, you know, um, my, my daughter and her privacy. But right. I, I don't know what that life is like because both of my parents were, were Puerto Rican. Right. But I'm. I'm empathetic because I didn't have the the cliche um, Hispanic um, experience growing up. Mm-hmm. Like my wife is Puerto Rican and she has a lot more cultural like the, things that mm-hmm. she can relate to growing up where mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, I don't know. Like, I don't know that stuff. Yeah. So I think I got to the point for me personally where I was just like, I know I know who I am and I'm honest about who I am and I'll never claim to understand certain things but i know for a fact that i can see it recognize it i can empathize with it and i'm with it there's a lot of people yes. that claim to be like i'm supporting you but you're they supporting still don't me see it. from a position that you don't you don't really see it oh so hard i talked to LaRock about this i think it was oh, LaRock. Well, yeah when we were we were talking well, i was like and i went through oh. a big old thing together oh yeah mm-hmm well, talk to me. No, about it. no, no. I'm not. Let's not. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> I don't know what he talked to. I actually didn't get to. I only listened to part of his I think episode. It was him. I think it was him more so where I was talking about like you're conditioned as black and brown people. We're conditioned to prepare for society a certain way. Mm-hmm. It's just innate in us. And I recognized it more when my two oldest who were half white grew up in Hemfield. Yep. Okay. And, and then you're they like, am didn't I doing have the those right experiences, thing? Mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah, you get mm-hmm. the double edged sword. Am I? Mm-hmm. I wanted a better life for my kids. Now I Is they this don't really have better? this experience. Yeah, all that. But it's also kind of like there's not there's things that they're not hip to. Where I'm like, y'all don't see what's going on right now, <laughs> and they're like, no, that, what's going on? that piece that, because I was so used oh, to it. Yeah. It wasn't that I wasn't aware. I was aware of it when it was being directed at my dad or my abuelita, but when it was being directed at me, you didn't I, see it didn't see it in the same with the same clarity and literally like LaRock and I were in a leadership program together this past year and we both ended up having to leave it I kind of remember that coming yeah. up I don't know all the details but I remember yeah mentioning and it, yeah. he he actually helped me a lot because <laughs> it was so funny we would have these text conversations and I'd be like yeah you know the girl in the group said this whatever and he's like you know what she's doing right and I'm like and she's just treating me like all other white women treat me. You know what I mean? Like I literally, he literally had to call out even this recently in the past year of like, they, you know, you are being alienated. You are being made to feel like you are the crazy out sure. of control brown woman right. in the group because you're the only brown woman. Right. No matter how white you may think you talk or whatever, you know, and 
you know, this is this is like racism one on one. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And I was like, damn it. Well, especially I'm for a woman, I would, I, would, I would think for a woman that it's it's twice as difficult because it is. uh and I I, I I listen to my wife. My wife, I can't tell you how many times she'll say, I have to watch what I say because then I'll be looked at as the crazy Latina yes. or the loud Latina. Well, and let me tell you, now that I have dra- now that I dress a little bit more, you know, whatever, at sure. loud with personality, right? And I claim my, my my Latinidad more. Guess what? What's that? It gets harder. Yeah. Go figure. Isn't that funny? <laughs> so I think like one thing that I've come to is I'm sort of like, listen, I'm going to put on the damn red lipstick. Yeah. I'm going to wear my big earrings and my curly hair because... People see, this is the thing that I didn't realize before. People see you no matter, that's the real me. You know yeah. what I mean? So like I was kind of, I wasn't trying to cover it up, but I was trying to blend and make other, I spent my whole life. trying to soften the blow. Yeah. I, sure. I spent my whole life trying to make white people feel comfortable that's what around we me. All, that's what we all do though. That's, that's, what I, that's what I was trying to allude to. Let me tell you, I am in this um, like bridge building training right now that's through the, um, what's it called? It's the philanthropic, uh, something, f- I can't remember, but it's a, it's a national foundation, uh, community foundation organization. And they sent a couple people from our organization through this training. And I was so pissed on the last training because they keep talking about, okay, you know, taking someone else's perspective and understanding that everybody's not the same as you and da, 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 da. And then like, and then <laughs> this last episode, they are this last training workshop, whatever they had this woman. Yes, she was white. She's a well, you know, renowned national researcher. And she was talking about how her work, how she worked with immigrants and basically her whole thing was like creating a PR campaign uh, around seeing immigrants as humans rather than as the other seeing them as one of us is what she said okay. seeing them as one of us not as the other and i was like girl <laughs> right. what does that mean and this was the big light bulb moment for them in their research that oh we have to use different words so that and i'm like so basically you learned that you need to help white people to understand that other people are human like it was right it was so frustrating for me because i'm like who did you did you interview any of the immigrants in this situation mm. and i asked her that in front of like 200 people and what did she say oh i never thought of that hmm research 101 i guess i don't know right but that's the thing that's how it shows up it's why I'm glad I, you know, do have a master's degree from Notre Dame so I, in nonprofit administration so I can have this job at the foundation, so I can be in those conversations, so that I can, you know, I'm glad I was in the ballet world so I can feel comfortable in a studio environment and, you know, help people in that way. Um, but it's hard sometimes yeah. because I was pissed. Yeah. And I didn't. So anyway, and then there's like there's a couple like black people in the group too, and the one black guy's like Maria speaking the truth, <laughs> and I'm like, thank you, I needed that because I was like, this is like this highly esteemed guest, and I was like, 
Have you ever done research on people who grew up in multicultural backgrounds or who have an immigrant background? Because it seems like all of these major, you know, revelations you've had yeah. in your research, we all grew up with. Right. We know how to do this shit. Right. You know, I didn't say it in that way, no, but that yeah. was like in... And so what I keep learning, it's like literally over and over again in this training. I'm like, oh, this is literally like how we navigate the world. So what does that mean when on a societal level, organizations who have influence really are trying, yeah. you know, that have you have been used, you know, historically been, you know, run by old rich white people, we'll sure. say, right? Maybe there's change happening, right? But they still have that, you know, history. There are a lot of organizations that are really trying, but I feel like there's only so much change that can happen with that limited perspective. Right. Until you decide to have conversations with people. And even like, I think you might need to edit this out too, but <laughs> just put it in the uncut version. I think until you know, empowered black and brown people are in power. Yeah. No, yeah, There's yeah, yeah. only so much, so far an organization or a company or whatever can go. You know what I mean? Because now they also have to have not had to feel like they've given up their identity to get to that point. And right. a lot of times people end up having to water themselves down so much to get to that point yep. that, you know then it's just about it's it's not about the bigger cause and that's fine i mean honestly people need to do what they need to do to yeah. make it through the no, world like i'm not percent. judging that because and even like with my dad it's like yeah as much as i make fun of him whatever it's like listen man like you he had to do what he had to you do. had to do what you had to do so like it, you also can't always be carrying the burden of solving racism right in every interaction. So it's a balance of being like, how can I take care of myself enough and understand when, when to engage and when to identify things and when it's not safe to for my own emotional, mental yeah. health. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a constant, you know, like this. You know what I mean? And, well, you know. It's, no, yeah, I, I completely dig it. You know, even, so I, I went to Beyonce in July. Okay. And ever since then, I've been wearing red lipstick. Okay. And this is my whole thing. I was like, I have been baptized <laughs> in the spirit. <laughs> By the beehive. I will only wear red lipstick. <laughs> she is telling me that from this day henceforth. <laughs> I shall only wear red lipstick. And so I listened because it go. was Beyonce. You know there what I mean? Go. Like, I might have been up in the nosebleeds, but she was speaking to me. And you were there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was there. You were there, there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I appreciate this. And and one of the things that I, I wanted to, to go back on yeah, was when we, when, when No, 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 no. But to piggyback off of what you were saying was that it is noble what our the generations before us had to do. Yeah. And when I said sometimes now you have to do things differently because we're in different positions, mm. this is what I'm talking about where it's like, I think the the main staple through 
everything that like generations can pass down from em- from immigrants. Yes. Not even people of color, really. I'm mm-hmm. talking about just immigrants across mm-hmm. the board is is education is really the biggest tool you can have because yep. that's the only way you can navigate like you said because of your education you're able circles. to put yourself in these rooms in these circles yeah it's still not fucking easy yeah and you're still dealing with the shit but you're here yeah so you it's almost like you're you're making waves in this pool mm. you have to be willing to do that make these ripples in this pool mm-hmm. um because that's what's going to make generations the next at, generation. right you see what yeah. i'm saying and it is different you know returning back to so two things one is that's how no- the university of notre dame started because the irish were and i'm like 25 percent irish but okay, there you <laughs> 20, go 15 percent something like that but anyway <laughs> they were they they were like scum the lowest of the low you know what i mean they could they didn't have institutions of higher education that is why the university of notre dame was started and i mean it was all men of course when they started so there's still all that energy but you know i mean it doesn't feel like that now right like it's this huge institution with all these resources and everything and it's very white, but it was Irish, you know, like that is the background. So it's just a kind of that's a kind of interesting yeah, thing to remember. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say is returning back to like kind of like basically what does our gener- generation do in navigating these things and how that looks different from the generation previous. When I was going through some major struggles with this leadership program that I was telling you about with LaRock, I talked a lot to my dad and I was like just I was just like dude like I am like it's taking me two days to recover after every interaction with this organization I think I need to leave wow and I remember I remember being in the liquor store buying wine for myself to self-medicate which you know it's not whatever I'm not people do it okay (laughs) blah 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 everybody does Health and wellness can be a thing (laughs) and drinking sometimes to medicate can be a thing. And, you know, we that's a whole other thing. We we don't judge. (laughs) I don't I don't judge. Yeah. But no, I remember literally being, you know, buying a bottle of wine and on the phone with my dad telling him, I just I don't think I can do it anymore, blah, blah, blah. And he I remember he got pissed at me and he said, listen. If I would have quit every time some white motherfucker, he didn't say motherfucker, yeah, came after me. Like, I never would have had a freaking job. Yeah. And if you quit that program, you're going to make it hard for every other black person who comes after you. Mm. Talk about pressure, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, damn it, Dad, you're right. Why? I was like, okay, fine. I'll just drink my worries away and stay in it for now. I'm still drinking But I wine. ended up leaving. I know. I ended up leaving. But I remember that moment because I was like, I get it. Like, I grew up with that mentality. I see it all the time. And that's part of the reason why I was always working so hard. It's not just because I everything had to be a certain way. It was because I didn't know any other way. Yep. And asking for people for help, I fucking hate that. Yeah. Being yeah. vulnerable, no fun. Um, receiving whatever. Like, I just, I, it's really a struggle for me. And it comes from both the working class white side of my family and the immigrant side of my family. Yeah. And, you know, 
it's a, it's very interesting because you know as i'm talking with other people well they're slightly younger than me that are you know black and brown in our community and are kind of I'll just you can edit that part out too um there's a lot so, of editing going i know on i'm here. sorry just give me a red pen i swear i'm not controlling um but like I feel like, okay, the younger, like, I feel like we're like, are you like 40s? I'm 44. Okay. So I just turned 41. Okay. I'm not telling you how much I weigh. That's none <laughs> of my business. <laughs> but I will tell you how old I am. And um, I feel like there are a lot of like 20 and 30s black and brown people, especially in the Lancaster community, but just really even nationally who are like, fuck the system. Yeah. Who fucking cares? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you yeah, You yeah. already have had to be oppressed just by coming out into this world looking like you do. You don't need to pay your, you know, you don't need to like bow down to the white man or whatever. So it's really interesting because we're kind of like in that in-between generation yeah. that's like, okay, like my dad or my grandparent or whatever, like we saw what they had to go through, right? And then we're trying to bridge the gap between that and like, you know, okay, I'm 40 something. I do need a job. Yeah. I do need like, like no, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, like how can I still help lay groundwork and create space for the next generation that's going to come through and blow shit up? And hopefully they can, you know what I mean? But, um, and still, yeah, like be true to, to who I am. I'm, I'm not a person. I like to try to make everything work. Yeah. And it's a good it. thing and a bad thing. And I think that's part of what we do generationally, too. Well, the passing of the baton yeah. isn't easy. Right. Because sometimes yes. it is that it's that young firehead that has all the right intentions is speaking truth to power. Correct. But it's like, please think about what we're doing here. There's ways yeah. we can incorporate what you're doing because of. So we are in that sandwich generation mm -hmm, in a way mm -hmm. where it's kind of like and sometimes i trip when i think about it because i'm like wow i am in this position now mm. i for the longest time was a young cat <laughs> now i'm like oh wow my you know my daughter perfect example she's she um when the riots were taking place years ago mm -hmm. and they were downtown mm -hmm. my daughter was 17 mm -hmm. 16 17 and she called me at work crying and she was like, I'm going downtown and I'm protesting. Mm -hmm. And in one hand, I was uh, proud of her. And on the other hand, I was like, don't you fucking go downtown right. because. And we saw what happened. Right. To some of the, I know. You see what I'm saying? So and it, it's this like you mentioned earlier, it's this juggling act. Of, and and what, what pisses me off is like sometimes I'm like, yo, I just want to I just want to do what I want to do. But why am I embracing so much shit that a lot of other people don't have to fucking deal with? You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I can easily turn a blind eye to it, but right. it don't sit well with me. Right. But really, I just I just want to follow my passion. I just want to go to work. I just want to I just want to do what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. But you have to deal with these hurdles and these small little um, micro situations that seem micro, but really they resonate so deeply with us because we've experienced it so many times throughout yeah. our life. Yeah. I appreciate this conversation, yeah. by the way. This I is, do too. Yeah. I mean, I think we discount the amount of energy it takes to do that too. 1000%. Constantly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and going back to the red lipstick thing, 
I was always made fun of when I was younger, growing up in white community, that my lips were too big. Oh, wow. But now they're trendy. There you and go. so are thick eyebrows. I got made fun of for my eyebrows. And I'm like, okay, I'm finally on trend. But <laughs> this whole thing, it's a silly, stupid act in so many ways. But for me, and even I've been self-conscious sometimes, I'm like, oh, I'm wearing red lipstick. I hope somebody, I don't even know what I think people are going to think of me. But it's yeah. like this thing that I'm putting myself out there in a way that, yeah, like like I said before, it's very different than trying to make people, you know, plucking my eyebrows thin, yeah. straightening my hair yeah. and wearing Birkenstocks. Yep. You know what I mean? I looked kind of ridiculous when I did that. Right, right, right. <laughs> but it feels more risky in, a, in an odd way. Um, so when anyway. I grew when I grew up, um, I was a, I still am, but I was a huge fan of Michael J. Fox. I was a big fan of Back to the mm-hmm. Future. I remember being. I mean, a, who wasn't? Come right. <laughs> I remember being a kid. The flux capacitor. <laughs> and and not understanding why my hair. Yes. Because I'd always, you know, he'd always run his fingers through his hair, and I would always try to brush my hair. I wanted my hair to to look like right. his. And I was always jealous of all the white kids that had hair like yes. that. Yes. Or do you remember Sun In? Remember when people would do Sun In? No. Did your, oh, your people. People would put, it was like the spray, I remember in middle school, that it could like, it would make your hair lighter. When oh, you, okay. Like yeah, have yeah. highlights when you go in that. the sun. It was, well, there was, I mean, I'm sure there are other brands, but everybody would do Sun In and I couldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I remember getting my I remember getting Stupid my tits frosted things like that. Yeah. And my and my mom was like, what is that? And it was in college. And I remember <laughs> this, you know, you don't see it when you're in the moment. Right. But I remember getting it done. And um, it was a girl that was pulling my hair through the cap. <laughs> and she was she was like, this is really difficult with your hair. And I was like, why? Because you're doing it to everybody else. But, you know, you see what I'm saying? But it's like the things that you're doing. Yeah. Instead of embracing who you are, but what you're seeing is the opposite. Mm-hmm. And now my son, who's 17, he has mm-hmm. hair like Michael J. Fox. Isn't that funny? And so it's kind of like, I, you know, I'll talk to him and I'm like, you know, it's funny. When I was a kid, I wanted hair like you. Yeah. You know, like, I'm okay now. I love But you my don't hair. realize how all those right. things, how all of the beauty standards and whatever else, what's cool, what's not, just gets... Is, is oppressive, truly. Right, right. And I mean, that that is how it is in the fitness world too. You know, it, how it is for women, especially in the fitness world, it's like you have to, in order to go to boutique fitness, this is a huge thing that I've come up against at Move It, is like, how can I help black and brown people to understand that this is a space for them as well? Okay, yeah. It's not just for thin, white, privileged women. Right. And also... How can I make sure those thin white privileged women know this is also a space for them? They, I mean, they kind of always see it that way. But like the more I've stepped into my Latinidad and, you know, talked about things more openly and things like that, um, you know, I found the country club set getting a little like, mm, maybe we don't. I remember my my dad and my mom both saying to me, you know, I think it's great that you're talking about Black Lives Matter and the da 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 and that you're Latino, whatever. But like you know, you might want to scale back a little bit because I don't know if your clients, like, I think yeah. I think some people, you know, the white people, some of the white people don't feel like it's a place for them anymore now. And mm. I was like, fuck that. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? But also there are real effects on your business. Right, 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 right. <laughs> because a lot of people will say, you know, I, I came here 
for this, not the politics. Yes. And it's like, but the politics affect my life. Yeah. And I'm not playing that anymore. Right. I mean, again, it's it's tricky and we all have to navigate it. But I kind of got to this point, you know, especially during COVID, too, where I was just like, if I'm going to have my own business, like. I'm going to fucking run it the way I want. And if yeah. that means I'm talking about racial stuff, that means I'm talking about racial stuff. If, if that means that, you know, we sometimes post political shit, like if that means I don't want Trump to be president. But, oh, well, you know what I mean? Like, but you're posting what, it, what is the point? But you're what is the point otherwise? With an educated stance. Yeah. It's not like you're just flapping at the mouth and not yeah. having any substance behind what you're saying yeah and i feel like even when people don't want to hear it when you have the stance that you have where it comes with like no i'm coming from an educated stance i know mm. this that and the third you can't really nobody can stop you yeah at the you're still dealing with the pressure and the setback but i commend you for that because you you have the platform even though it's not meant for that mm -hmm. but you have you're in a position because you're a latina woman you're mm -hmm. in a position where you have to speak up about it and you have this platform and you're using it and you're doing it beautifully because i have Aww, seen the posts you. and i and it's not like you're just um rambling you have um you have a message you stand by it and it's it's um i keep saying educated because i remember my mom always telling me like you got to get your education because Nobody will take you seriously, especially because you're Puerto Rican. Get educated. Now, look, mm. I went to college for one year mm -hmm. and I dropped out. Mm -hmm. But I've always felt that I was educated. Yes. I've always done right. research. I've always read things. I've always um, articulated it's myself very well. It's a way you're thinking right. and, mm -hmm. and approaching and, things. And yeah. that was the whole, like, you sound white. So I've learned <laughs> now as I get older, like, no, I just know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> Let's, let me get okay. back to you. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, when we talked about ballet, you talked about ballet Oof. earlier. Mm -hmm. And I was unaware. Obviously, I don't know nothing about ballet. But, <laughs> but I, I didn't realize it was that cutthroat and toxic. Um, yeah. So when you say that you used that, you, you feel that some of that has kind of shaped you to deal with and prepare with situations that can be somewhat harsh and toxic mm. do you look back at that experience with some gratitude or you or some resentment i mean what exactly happened that pushed yeah. you away so i mean the way that i like to describe the ballet world to people who and i'm talking about like professional ballet world like professional training not like you know, going to a recital studio where it's like recreational and fun and life-giving or whatever, okay? We're talking like you're trying to pursue a professional career. I always say it's kind of like what you understand of gymnastics, figure skating, and modeling, but without as much money and fame. <laughs> okay, got you. Because, especially gymnastics and figure skating, because you have such a short window of time that you can really perform, mm. right? Now, Simone Biles, like a lot of the, you know, other um, athletes are extending the life of how they can perform at a, an elite level, but ballet is similar. I mean, I decided when I was six, but like I wasn't the only one of my friends who was that young when they decided, you know? Mm. I went away for the summer, for the full summer, starting at age 11 to train. And I felt like I still wasn't doing enough because I wasn't going to a boarding school for ballet until I was just turned 16 and I felt like I was way too old. Like that's how intense it is. Wow. Um, 
And, you know, dance in and of itself is such an all-encompassing art form. It is, you know, it engages your mind, it engages your body, it engages your spirit, it your heart, you know what I mean? So for me, the passion, you know, the reason why I was willing to do all of that hard work and have bloody feet and, you know, all the other stuff was because I loved it so much. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, there are so many people just like in gymnastics and figure skating. I always relate it to that because people understand that with Olympics and stuff. Um, there are so many people who want to do it. Yeah. Believe it or not, professionally, even though it's shitty pay. <laughs> It kills your body, you know, like there's all this stuff, but you just, if you're a dancer, you just can't get enough of it. You know what I mean? And, um, the ballet world specifically is so, um, it's, it's so restrictive in how you can look and, you know, it's such a really hard technique yeah. that you there are, they're just built in limitations, right? So I was always thin, but I was always muscular. So like from the time I was probably eight years old, I felt like I was bigger than everyone else. Now, now I am a fully curvy Latina woman, <laughs> but I was not when I right. was eight. I mean, and I look back at pictures, I'm like, oh my God, like I, I had no fat on my body. I just had lean muscle. Like I, how could I feel that way about myself? And you know, you feel that way about yourself and then you're also looking to, you know, it's an individual sport, right? It's an individual art form like figure skating and gymnastics. So you're constantly, it's all up to you how hard you work and how, gotcha. how well you can perform. Whereas with a team sport, it's up to you to do your part. Yeah. But you're working together to accomplish a shared goal. Gotcha. In ballet, you're friends the only other people who understand what you're going through are also your biggest competition so that makes for some really weird fucked up relationships too yeah yeah i never thought about that oh yeah and then so on top of that you're waiting for a teacher to pay attention to you and usually mm. the way that you know someone thinks you have potential is if they are giving you corrections that's what we call them corrections okay it's not positive feedback and it's very rare, excuse me, that it, and things are starting to change because like people my age are now like teaching and stuff. But, you know, it it's never I don't know how to say it, but it's truly based on negative reinforcement. You know what I mean? It's like you got to do this. You got to do that. Some teachers deliver it differently, but it's always about how can you make it better? How not? Oh, that was great. Let's do it better. Let's okay. see if you can do it this way next time. It's you know, go straight into the correction. You know what I mean? It's correction, correction, correction. And you start to crave that like, yeah. it's it's a good thing if someone's critiquing me. Yeah. Wow. So wow. I don't even know how that relates to stuff other than I, I have had a lot of like, and, and what ended up happening to me, I should say, is like the year before I went away to school, I was supposed to go when I had just turned 15 and my parents were like, oh, you're a little young. Um, and I had been told by like, a, it's, you hear this story all the time, by like my, the closest thing I had to a mentor teacher who was a white male. 
Um, that, well, actually he told my mom, well, if she could just lose 10 pounds, it'd be great. You know, like I was like a hundred and I don't know, maybe 115 pounds. I'm five, seven. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so my mom told me that and you know, my disordered eating became really disordered. Um, so the year leading up to going away to school, I was, you know, I was not healthy. I was not healthy. And dealing with, you know, a lot of like over exercising, compulsive exercising. And, you know, I just remember at one point I would eat, like I would wake up at six, I would work out for an hour. I would have five grapes a day and three pieces of popcorn. Like that was my wow. summer leading up to three going. Gra- three grapes? <laughs> five, grapes. five grapes. I don't know why it was five grapes. <laughs> five, you were splurging. You, you know what I mean? Three. And so like, and I was working out and training, you know, so, and at the same time, I started getting like better roles and stuff. So like, you know, and I was also hitting my stride because I was training a lot, whatever, you know, it might not have all had to do with the weight. But the point is, I wasn't in a very healthy state when I went away. And, you know, that school in particular, and most performing arts high schools, I'll just speak for ballet, are about this like push you until you break and whoever's left standing is the one who can actually make it in this world. Mm. They're doing this to teenagers, man. I was about to say you were so young. Teenagers. And where I was, you know, it was also, there was a college on campus, an arts, this is like a well, a very highly rated. Um, it's, there's, it's now a part of the, unc system well it's always been a part of the unc system but now it's like yeah more recognized and you know they've had a ton of famous actors come out of the school they've had a lot of successful filmmakers and things like that it was not a good idea to have two when i was there i still remember there were 200 high school students on campus and 800 college students high schoolers were not allowed to have cars um so the only way to get off campus was if you were friends with a college student or you took a cab. Remember cabs? Yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and we're in the middle, you know, there, there wasn't much else around where we were in North Carolina. And so um, it made for a very, you know, and plus it's all artists. Yeah, yeah. So it's like. A perfect storm of hormones and drug use. You know, this yeah. was like when raves were happening. Like, I'm so lucky that I am like, have my wits about me because <laughs> so I remember seeing, pe- yeah. I mean, people freak me out. Like, I remember people with yeah. acid and ecstasy and stuff, like roaming around the hallways. Like, it was some messed up shit. Absolutely. And I think about that now, especially as a parent. And I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, that was egregious what happened there. And what, and you know, the most beautiful people on campus were the bat, the high school ballet dancers and the college drama boys. So that also made gotcha. for some really interesting dynamics that were very unhealthy, gotcha. you know? And I mean, before I went there, I had never, like I was so disciplined and I had never even like had a drink. And by the time I left, I was just like, Iraq. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Um, and it did a lot of damage. And, you know, I almost quit then. And anyway, then I got the contract with the company. But the point is, it definitely made me resilient, but I have had a hard time um, reconciling, like, 
how all of that happened and the wrongness of it and my inability to like stop it from happening to other people. There are a lot of things like that in my life where I'm like, oh, I'm a statistic there. Oh, I'm a statistic there. But like, it's good to know that, but it's also just like, it kind of pisses me off in a way where I'm like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do about it? What can I do? I didn't, I, I wasn't able to address it then. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just, it is, it's there. It's, you know, as someone who is motivated and go getter, whatever, it's really annoying to look back on things and feel like I wish I could have not even stopped it from happening to me, but just like fucking like gotten like some had somebody else pay a consequence. Yeah. Because I feel like so much of what I have gone through it. I, you know, I've, I still deal with it on a daily basis. You know, I still, regardless of like, you know, empowering others and really, that's why I never, ever, ever have ever talked about weight loss. Even when I was very thin, you know, and I was healthy, but I was still probably like not eating enough. Um, but like towards the beginning of my fitness teaching career, you know, um, before I had kids and all I did was like work out. It was, it was really nice. But anyway, I still <laughs> refused to, to make it about weight loss. And philosophically, I actually wrote a manifesto about this in 2018. It was before pandemic because my body was edited in an ad for a local publication and it made my waist thinner. And wow. at this point, I was like, I was probably 40 pounds lighter. So I wasn't, it didn't really need to happen. And um, so I wrote this whole thing. And basically, my, you know, I'm fundamentally opposed to this, the industry, the fitness industry and the world, obviously, in general, um, mess sending this message to women that they need to be smaller. I'm like, how fitting is that? Who does it benefit for women to constantly be obsessed with literally yeah. and figuratively making themselves smaller. Yeah. Who stands to benefit from that? And also where, I mean, it's like the Barbie movie, you know, when they forget their identities or whatever. And, you know, oh, I was a Nobel Prize winner. And now I'm just like serving this guy. I don't know if you, you didn't see it. No, I, did, I didn't see it. <laughs> That'll be like three more episodes. <laughs> <laughs> But the point is, it's like, so I just see it. It's like, it's this pervasive attitude of like, it's like we become so obsessed with it as yeah. women and also with making each other smaller, with tearing each other down. And I'm like, the only people that benefit from that, guess what? They're not women. Mm. They are not the people that are birthing other human beings. Mm. They are not the people <laughs> yep. who, you know, are really being entrusted with carrying on the next, you know, generation. And there's a reason for it. Yeah. So that's a thing that I've always stood by as a business owner and a business and have grown to, you know, after having two kids and pandemic and everything kind of now perimenopause, I'm like, Oh my God, can we just like, it's really, it's really hard to be <laughs> I, I mean, we're imagine. amazing and powerful and blah, blah, blah. But sometimes I'm like, damn, like, yeah. come on. Yeah. But, you know, I've I've grown to, even though I've always had that consistent message, I've 
grown to understand it in deeper ways yeah. um, throughout this process. And yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see, you know, how that affects the ethos of the studio, how that affects our clients and teachers and, you know, um, I'm hoping, and I do hear this a lot, like, that the studio is the happy place for our clients and well, teachers that's good. too. And it's the place where, you know, we've had people, this is an advertisement for the studio, but this is the thing that um, no, kind of keeps me going. Go to moveitstudios.com. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I start my pitch. Are you ready? <laughs> Help I'm me. putting it on the bottom of the screen. It'll be in yeah. flashing lights. Yeah, it's just like, like the ticker tape <laughs> at the bottom. Moveitstudio.com. Um, but I am the only, as far as I know, we are the only women, woman of color owned fitness studio. There we go. In Lancaster and really the region. Now they're just in York. They're just opened up a black, uh, woman owner opened up a yoga studio. But like, I was, I like literally just realized that I never thought of that. Okay. And I was like, oh yeah. Like I'm looking around. I'm like, they're no. Now there's starting to be some more instructors and stuff, which is amazing, but there aren't, you know, other studio owners right now. So hopefully there will be more. But um, the thing that really like kind of keeps me going is when I hear, and this has always been consistent, no matter what our clientele looks like, right? And where we were based that um, move it and what we offer there. It's not, it is an amazing workout and it does feel good, but what people come to me and tell me is this is what helped me get through my husband dying. Mm. We've had multiple people. This is what helped me to get through postpartum depression. This is what helped me to get through divorce. You know, this is what helped me to get back in touch with my body after like having a major like weight loss journey. You know, like there's, it's those like life defining moments. This is what helped me to get through COVID. Yeah. Don't close Marie. We need you. And I'm like, girl, I'm barely hanging on over here. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm trying, but I, I can't you. really give you much more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've given you my youth and beauty. <laughs> I have nothing left anyway. And that's not even getting into my kids, but you know, um, that is, that's the thing. Right. And so, Again, though, it's like what you're trying to do, what you are doing, not what you're trying to do, what you are doing with your podcast and changing people's lives and speaking to people's hearts and just being real. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, It does have an impact. And sometimes, you know, as a business owner, though, it can be hard for me to balance that amazing impact that I truly value more than anything with okay, I have all, I have a lot of debt now. Yeah. yeah. I hadn't had, I went into pandemic only having, but I, I remember I took out a $10,000 loan and I thought I was going to poop my pants. Now I, owe, now I joke that the SBA is my angel investor. <laughs> 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 Silent partner. <laughs> That's a nice way to put and it. And a though. few other credit card companies. You know what I mean? But I'm like, it's the real deal. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, and not every, again, people don't want to hear it. So when I did my, when I did my crowdfunding campaign again last year, I felt like I was speaking into the void. I was so vulnerable and I was, 
almost like embarrassed to ask for help again because I fucking hate asking for help in any way. But I was like, okay, this is this was my last ditch effort. Like, I need to start asking people for money for the studio. Like, I know if we are a viable business, we shouldn't have to fundraise, right? But like, also, here's it the is reality. What it is right. Here's the reality, and you know, it was swallowing my pride. And I think. There was a part of me that thought that, like, if I finally come out of the closet and let people know what's really right. happening behind the scenes, every the money will come pouring in and we'll just, you know, I'll be able to erase my debt or at least regularly pay my bills and da-da-da-da-da, right? And what happened was sort of like everybody's <laughs> like, what the hell? You know what I mean? Like, gotcha. a lot of people did support and share, and I am so appreciative of all of that. And I think there was a little bit of a thing like, well, we don't really want to hear about that. And also, mm. like, should we give you money? Because are you just going to be closing anyway? Mm. Wow. And I do think there is a racial element to that. And I also think there's an element to, like, if you always kind of put yourself out there as this, like, strong person or whatever, people don't know what to do. It's like when mom has a breakdown. Yeah. And you're like, oh, fuck. We yeah. are screwed yeah. now because, like, she's That's the one holding point. all this shit together. Right. Like, I don't know what to do now. Right. And it's not, I mean, not to elevate my influence, but, like, it kind of felt like that a little bit where I was like, no, li literally, like, I, like, why, you know, come on. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't know how else to say it. And Throw I, me a bone here. Yeah, and yeah. I sort of felt like people still didn't get it because, like, I had mascara on and like my hair was done or whatever. I wasn't like bawling. Right. Right. You didn't look like somebody that needed the yes. help. And it's all that just goes back to like. It goes the, back like, to the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm not supposed to look like somebody no. who needs help. No, right. Right. So anyway, it's it's been an interesting journey. I am really looking forward to seeing how things pan out. I still don't know how they're going to, but we have really good energy behind the studio. And really, I think, you know, this whole thing, I think that people actually believe me, if, even if maybe they did before, I don't know. But I feel like I have remained consistent in like who I am and what I believe in and not veered away from that. I'm really proud of that. Yeah. Um, I know there are other local businesses and studios that have like, you know, like hired black people to like be in their ads or whatever it is. And that's, it is what it is. Like I'm not, you know, we all do our thing, right? I got you. But, or like hired black people to like appear in their business. So it looks like they're embracing diversity. And let me tell you, I thought I had failed because I still don't have a lot of black and brown people in my studio, you know? Yeah. And one thing I realized, though, too, is we are one small studio in Lancaster City, owned the only studio owned by a Latino woman, right? A Latino at all. Yeah. And in this boutique industry that is very white and very privileged, like, I can only do, not to excuse it at all, but I can only do what I could do and trust that if I continue to put out the energy and continue to speak the truth, it's having the impact it needs to have. Right. It might not automatically translate to like, oh, we are the destination for like, right, I right, think right. I thought in my mind, I was like, if people uh, like, if I get some street cred, like, you know, then like, 
the black and brown community will support me and like, you know, understand, you know, understand that this truly is a place for them. And, you know, I think there's some of that. And it's also just like, do you, it's, it's what, where you feel comfortable and where you feel you belong. For me, that isn't a dance studio. That's very rare for a lot of black and brown people. Yeah. And I dig it. It's, it's, it's an, um, it's an interesting position to find yourself in where you're grateful that you have this problem, but it's also frustrating mm-hmm. that you can't grow it the way everybody has like, like a passion, a dream. Yeah. And, and you're fulfilling yours, mm. but then it, it comes with different elements mm-hmm. that, you know, well, just just get back. You can do it. You're already doing this. It's there's so right. much more going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, you it, it, and it's difficult when you're not willing to sell out and be like, well, let me change, mm-hmm. let me fake the funk here and do mm-hmm. it to appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that says a lot though that you're willing to hold on to your integrity and in and who you are. Uh, that's the backbone of um most black and brown people is not compromising my integrity yeah. because especially if generations before considering what we've all been through, that's all we have right. is our fucking integrity. Our right. name. How you look at me and how you perceive me means everything to me. Mm. Um, and so I would look at it as there's so many people that have come through your doors and that you've met that I can't imagine that, that was for naught. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? I agree. And that the door swings both ways. Mm. And and mm-hmm. what comes in one way, something leaves, but other things come in. Yeah, I, I believe Ooh, in things like that. that. I, I, I really that. do. I really yeah. do. You know, so I'm listening to what you're saying, and I don't <laughs> have a business, um, so I can't relate, but I can completely... I dig it what you're saying mm. and it's 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 hard to to hear that you've got you've gone through so much and you've gotten so far but it's almost like yeah but guess what I'm still fucking dealing with this that and the third <laughs> it's like well when do you celebrate you know what I mean right. like when do you finally go Woo! aha I know it's, it's it sucks but um but yeah. fuck man you're like you're doing something pretty fucking cool i think the the people that you're meeting and the the lives that you're touching and like you said people are finding some closure Mm. through it yeah that i can't imagine that 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 just does not go by the wayside with with people that you're it's true and i do feel that and i'm really grateful for the opportunity to do it and you know whenever i lead teacher trainings i'm always like you know people are trusting us with their bodies yeah that is huge. They're coming in here. They're doing something they might be uncomfortable doing. And vulnerable. And vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And they're listening. And they're here. And we have the privilege of them trusting us with yeah. that. And that's a really beautiful thing. And I think with regard to like all of the turmoil that I experienced in the dance world, it's a very beautiful and therapeutic thing for me to be able to offer the really beautiful and healing parts of movement and dance. It's kind of like, you know, flipping it all around and being like, there's a reason why. And 
maybe people don't even under a lot of people probably don't even understand. I don't share my story a lot like okay. this. Gotcha. Um, cool. So this is rare. Yeah. Uncut. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't because there's a lot, and it's also just like. Yeah, there are parts of it I'm not proud of. And there's, you know, it's like, I don't want to be a fucking statistic. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? I just want to, like, do my thing, like you said, and, like, be successful and, like, not be continu- continuously having to deal with this bullshit. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think it's, there is part of this, like, I think why I keep coming back to dance and movement. And I just, I'm actually performing this week for the first time in since I had my first daughter, I only performed once. So it's been a long time. Wow. She just turned eight and I choreographed a piece and created a, a work um, as well. And I'm starting to do more of that. And so this is the idea. I think what's happening is it's this very real way of like both within my own body, but in offering what we offer at the studio, um, turning some of that stuff that I, the ugly stuff that I went to into something beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. Where are you performing? Can you say? Yeah. Um, it's with Grant street dance company. It's an intergenerational modern dance company. They've always, since I opened, they've rehearsed at the studio and you know, they give me like a little, like $10 an hour or something like that. But you know, they were my dance community that I found when I first moved here when I was 22 and really struggling and not knowing again, yet another identity crisis, you know, not knowing what to do with my life. Um, They have been a really grounding presence and they are um, celebrating 25 years. It's actually at like a private property. It's a site specific piece. Okay. Um, But uh, yeah, so I'm doing that. And then I also am dipping into my Latina side and am performing at One World Festival. Okay. Um, one of my teachers, Jasmine Pantoja, I met her at One World last year. She was in charge of the whole um, Latin dance section. And I was like, where do you teach? You need to come to me, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. and now she's like on the team. And so this year she's doing the, this that section again and has been teaching salsa at the studio. And I was like, I would really love to do that, but I work at the community foundation and that's extra give day and blah, 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 blah. blah. And yeah, then, right. you yeah. know, yeah, I'm like, I work that day. I work 24 hours straight, you know, but, um, Fran actually was like, why don't you just audition? Like, why don't you? And, you know, Jasmine's like, you don't need to audition. I would love to have you in it. And so I talked to people at the Community Foundation. They're like, that's a beautiful way of, like, showing up in all the elements of who you are on this day. And we 100% support you doing that. So I'm really excited about that because I've never performed salsa and... Yeah, it's going to be fun. Well, good for you. That's so (laughs) cool to hear. Especially after some time not dancing, getting back to it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's putting myself out there in a different way because, you know, I still have my own um, self-judgment and things. And it's really purely because I love it now and it's still in my body. So awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I might not be able to walk after that. <laughs> That's everything. I, I, my wife and I hosted a party. I stood there grilling for four hours. I had a hard time walking the <laughs> like, next day. What happened to so my knees? <laughs> you this mentioned- was supposed to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only person I told outside my whole family. 
Because I fucking felt oh, like no. I was working out, though. I know. I'm telling you. I mean, I teach fitness, you know, and I have this studio and I all of that. And we just, um, I mean, ballet is really hard on your body, but we just traveled to Colombia yeah. uh, for a wedding. My my dear friend was getting married to a, a guy from Colombia and his family still lives down there. And just like on the flight, I could barely walk after her because my knees were so stiff. Yeah. <laughs> you can edit that part out. And I was like, I was telling Andrew, I'm like, Andrew, I don't know what's happening. Like, I my knees really hurt, but like we were walking just sitting like out I was like, can you help me? <laughs> and of course, it was like a month before my 41st birthday. So I was like, it's happening. There like, you go, right? right <laughs> the right, joints right. are giving out. What do I got to drink for my joints? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You mentioned um, briefly, real quick, if you yeah, don't yeah. Mind. Your children, you have a uh, two, or three. Yes, okay, I have right. two children, uh, Paloma okay. and Rafael, with okay. an F. They are both blue-eyed. Look at that! Any blue and eyes in your? I married a white guy. There you go. And my mom has blue eyes, and her family okay. has blue eyes. So I thought the dark jeans would win out, but my mom's like, "Listen, girl, I tried to help you out with the gene pool by giving you that nice skin and yeah, marrying yeah, a Latino. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you make your own choices." <laughs> My kids are beautiful and amazing, and so is my husband. And um, I'm really, yeah, I'm really lucky to be their mom. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I love uh, one of the things that I love about um, doing the podcast and learning about everybody's journey. Um, when people are doing what they're doing, the ups and downs, and there's a family involved. Oof. I relate to it. You know, oh my God. Uh, you know, it's like yeah. especially when you have somebody that's. Uh, you know, um, supporting you and backing you up, and they have to endure a lot of the emotional distress, the, yep. the good times, but also like that where nobody sees, mm -hmm. and, and and so um, the anxiety I, attacks. Yeah, yeah, oh my god, <laughs> anxiety attacks. We don't need to go my, into detail, but <laughs> my wife is so good with my anxiety, where it's just it's just like. Uh, I, I've, it's like oh, I, he's I, just another. I, are you okay? <laughs> uh, sometimes that, that I don't have it here now. I, we have a. It's in the foyer now, but it's a green chair. I used to sit in that corner, mm. and uh, it's sometimes things would get too many people start talking at the same time, Ugh, and I, I can't concentrate. Over, I have yeah. to walk away and sit here. And she'd walk in and she'd go, "Are you all right?" And I'm like, "I'm okay. I just need a couple minutes." And yeah. it's like I don't have to worry about her. She gets it. Holding it against me. Like, you know, you're always busy. And then when you're with the family, the only time my wife put me in check and I'm grateful for her is I have a tendency of when people start telling me something, I'm like, just get to it. Oh, get yeah. to it. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she was oh, telling me a story and I was kind of I was kinda, I was kind of like, losing my give me the summary. <laughs> I was just kind of like, I give think me. she could tell that I was losing. And she said, you know, I you know, I don't ever say anything, but. How is it you can have an interview with somebody for ooh, two hours? Ooh, ooh. Oh my God! Is she and I had nothing to say. You're like, um, you know, it was like the only reason why I appreciated what she said is because she's been so supportive that when she yeah. finally said something, I had to really. Uh, so mm -hmm. the reason why I bring all that up is because like doing what you're doing and having a, a family and 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 I I can relate to that. So I always like to kind of like just get the vibes and 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 um. I'm appreciative. Thank you very much for for yeah. stopping in and and this was so much uh this is a this is a lot that I love to talk about. I don't really get to talk about it 
too often is like the dynamics of of what black and brown people go through, but in yeah in different levels. And obviously, obviously, I thought the whole time you were from Lancaster. I didn't realize that you were from Michigan. No. So that's a dope. Yeah, and then next time, I mean, I'm not inviting myself back. No, please. But next time, we'll talk about when I was a doula over COVID. Holy hell. <laughs> How did we miss that? <laughs> I did the diversifying doulas program with Patients Are Waiting. Look mm-hmm. at that, yeah. And what, and what I saw, because we yeah. were supporting um, specifically Black and Latinx women. Okay. So yeah, so okay. we'll do that next time. Next time, absolutely. I want to have to schedule that. <laughs> One of the things I want to do is uh, is um, I like to pose a question mm-hmm. to my guests. Usually, I, I used to be like, "Let's talk about what your plan is," you know. But I'm trying to do something different this okay. season. So, um, uh, nothing too drastic. But considering what we talked about, what what is your what would be some suggestions or maybe some advice you would give mm. to um. Not just a, a woman of color, but anybody of color, mm. maybe maybe especially a woman of color, because I, I I would think that that there's so much more that women of color have to deal with than men, but that are finding themselves in a position where they're compromising mm. who they are. Do you have any suggestions for somebody? That is a very good question. You mentioned that you didn't have any. Your mom said you didn't have anybody. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that to me, one thing that I have really intentionally tried to figure out how to create for myself, and it's not all local. Um, One of the good things about COVID is like connecting virtually um, with other people who live in other areas. And that's been really helpful for me. Um, So I, I do a I'm a member at this uh, meditation and yoga studio in Brooklyn, you know, and it's all black and brown teachers. So I think one thing for me, what I would recommend is what I have really intentionally tried to curate in the past however many years is people who look like me, who are doing things that I respect, whether I have a personal connection with them or not, um, kind of finding those people, first of all, so that like, like, just like you said, like the Michael J. Fox hair, like your hair is never going to be like Michael J. Fox's. Yeah, yeah. And if that's the only model you have, like what the, what are you going to do? You right. know what I mean? So that's one thing. And then the other thing is actually having like relationships with people who are going through similar things to you, you know, um, For me, that's like other first gen people, like whether they are, you know, like I have Indian friends. My one like dearest friend is half Egyptian, half Polish, but we look like we could be sisters. You know, she grew up in Manhattan, so her racial identity wasn't even really. She's like, girl, if you lived in New York, like nobody would say anything. She's like, you're white passing. I'm like, damn it, would you stop? (laughs) I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out how to rectify all of these things. But to have people that you can actually let down your guard with yeah, in a different way. I didn't realize that I like very, very rarely like pre pandemic talk to any of my white friends about race. Wow. Oh yeah. And even about like 
And it wasn't even, it, it, it's just, it's different. It's yeah, just it different. It is, it is. I process with my mom who is white. I process, you know, there were some people I could talk to about it, but I just never really, I just did my thing, yep. you know? So I think the biggest piece of advice is really finding people who resonate with your journey. Yeah, there you go. You like how I tied that go. in? <laughs> Season three. <laughs> Wherever you get your podcast, <laughs> follow me now. Now I put all the <laughs> podcast logos. <laughs> we're opening. We're <laughs> open for sponsorships. <laughs> yes. Also, Move It Studio is yeah. okay. Anyway, yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but yeah, like finding people who actually resonate with your journey. Yeah. You know, whatever that looks like. But I do think it's really important. And one of the things that had, that was unfortunate in my upbringing is having other people who look like you. You know what I mean? Um, that sounds, I don't know how it sounds. I know people might take it one way or another, but I just, I think it's important to to have close relationships with people who can understand yeah. your racialized experience. Just like it's important for, you know, women to have women friends. It's hard. Just like it's important for men to have male friends. It's not like it needs to all be separate. But I think for me, like I was almost to the opposite extreme where like at one point, like all of the people I was closest to were like white, straight men. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I was like, the white girls are mean to me. The white guys yeah. like me. <laughs> the, the, the black, like I'm not even around black and Latino women. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, I dig, I dig it. <laughs> and then I was like, this is not like working. So I think it is. It's finding that community, how, whatever that looks like for you. And, you know, I think if you're compromising, it's it really, it all has to do with Coming back to your center and knowing what that is. And yeah. I think even though it's really hard to do that work, that is what we are all here for. And I really, truly believe that especially, you know, the black and brown community, why, like, I feel like that is part of all of our purpose. Right. And responsibility to it, whatever that means for you, whether it's doing genealogy or learning Spanish or you know what I mean, but to really understand where you came from and understand what, you know, you need to do to stay true to that. Right. And I, to co-sign what you're saying, I would also add that it's, I think that most healthiest thing for anybody is to understand that it's okay to normalize this type of conversation yeah, and, and, and that it good. doesn't mean that um, because I have white friends that get it. Yes. I have 100 white coworkers same. that would, will, would come to me and say, you know, I didn't look at it the way that you broke it down, but I'm appreciative because mm -hmm. of what you said. Mm -hmm. Now I look at things differently. And I feel like that's the game is like um, this is a normal conversation to have. When we talk about these experiences, it's not saying like all white people don't have a clue. It's saying, right. no, it's a, it's it's not. How are you supposed to understand? Mm -hmm. But when we're trying to explain it to you, allow us. Yes. And don't. Don't say that this conversation, we can't have conversations like so this. We can't bring up, we can't, you're right. You, you think know? you're uncomfortable? How you think I feel? 
right, day. Sorry. right. No, but it's, but also, it's the there are white people who get it. Like even like my mom, for example, you know what I mean? Who 1, like grew up in yeah. what, you know, white rural working class Michigan and, you know, still like she's like kind of the outlier and aunt, my husband's kind of the outlier in his yeah. family, you know, and he, they both see things that sometimes, like I said, I don't even see because I'm just so used to having to deal with it. Yeah. So it is, yes, 100% like it is tricky to have these conversations and it's tricky. I know like I've talked a lot like my my husband, you know, he was the first one in his family to graduate from college. And he's like, I understand white privilege and like my grandparents were minors and I'm the first one, like my parent, you know, my dad was in the military out of necessity. Yeah. You know, so it's like, that's different. That's economic privilege, right? But it's like, it's just an interesting, there, there is a lot of, you know, gray area, but I think the most important thing, and I think it's hilarious that like, there are so many trainings on this now is like, look at someone else as a human being. That's all. Right. Right. And that's where like the empathy comes in. Like I, I don't understand it, but I have to take your I, I would I would have to take your word that you're being honest with what you're telling me. And if yeah. that's the case, then allow me to learn. Yeah. From I, I and I feel like when people get that experience, then some the guard will come down. Yeah. And for the most part, like I, I can't speak for everybody. Right. I can't speak for all black and brown people. Yeah. But in my experience. It's been time. Let me tell you something. It's one for every like 10 you, people you talk to. Yes. You get one that you will listen to people. you. It's not, you it's not easy. You lose some people. <laughs> you lose some people. You do. But then it also clarifies things. So the interesting thing about that is that this bridge building training I'm going through, it's all research based since out of UCLA. And um, it's led by like a Latino man and a black woman. But one of the things that they found in some study was that in cases where so so much of the the dialogue in education has been in like the racial equity sphere and just bridge building in general whatever has been geared towards white folks who can't seem to understand that other people (laughs) have had a different experience from them okay right so a lot of the training is about like perspective taking is what they call it so it's like think of yourself from this perspective blah 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 so in the trainings what they found is there is not a statistical like advantage or improvement in bridge building ability or in personal experience when black and brown people are asked to take to do perspective taking because they do it all the time right but what they where they show like the statistical advantage and whatever what is actually effective is when black and brown people or really what they say it's because it's not all racially based so it's like the um, the group you know sometimes they call it the out group or like whatever group has less power we'll say quote unquote in the situation when they are able to do perspective giving like you said when they're able to share. Yeah. That's when they see the improvement. Right. So that is 100% like backed up by the research and everything too. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. It is such a different, it's scary for me to share with someone who couldn't understand my 
racialized experience or whatever. But I feel a lot better when I can. Yeah. And when I'm given the space to do that, it it makes a huge difference. Well, even in these in the inner in, uh, inner cities across America, where the the black and brown and white kids yeah. grow up together, yeah, there's way more of a, of a unionized understanding a familiarity mm-hmm. if you will an empathetic approach where it's almost like no i i, I know i'm white but um like i i dig what's going on here yeah i see it yeah um and that just goes yeah that's that's just like you gotta like sharing understanding getting involved and, and that's that's a lot easier said than done but I'm always commending and, and appreciative people that really spearhead any type of program, any type mm-hmm. of, uh, even what we're doing now. We're yeah. having a conversation about it. it. It's important because, like I said, one out of ten will listen to it and go, I, I, didn't, I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah. So, Marie, thank you so much. This has been thank an you. awesome conversation. Yeah. And you did great. You were Good. Uh, I'll, you I'll be back, nervous. obviously. <laughs> Movedstudio.com. <laughs> That's <Sorry>. all. <laughs> You're a natural. You're going to get a podcast. I mean, give me a freaking microphone. <laughs> I mean, you should see me if a microphone in a stage. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I will wax poetic. But no, thank you. Thank you for listening and for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. I'm Absolutely. so glad this worked out. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you. That's it. Okay.